You're listening to Warriors in the Dust, the official Fink Desert Race podcast. So listen up now. Welcome to episode six of Warriors in the Dust. I'm Murray Silby, just four weeks until the big race. With Prologue Day getting the action underway on Saturday the 12th of June and two days of racing to follow after that and scrutineering on the Friday night the 11th of course before the racing. Many of you will be making your way to the Northern Territory from interstate to either compete or watch the Fink Desert Race. Others will be following from afar relying on media coverage for some of the highlights. And today we speak with a journalist who's been covering the race for almost a quarter of a century. He doesn't even look old enough. And he said, have you seen the track? And I said, I don't even know where it is, mate. <laughs> and he said, you might want to go and have a look. And that was the first, <laughs> the first thought of, wow, maybe I'm in way over my head. He's a man who has interviewed all of the top riders in that time, knows many of them socially and has also ridden in the race many times, including a top 100 finish. That's coming up on Warriors in the Dust. My co-driver on Warriors in the Dust, of course, is Rick Hall, two-time Fink winner. Hello, Rick. How are you going? Good. Thank you, Murray. How's yourself, champion? Very good. Thank you. And as you know, Rick, journalists often find themselves in privileged positions, witnesses to historical events, and often doing so from inside the fences. But the man we're about to speak with knows more about the Fink than your average journo, Australasian dirt bike magazine Stephen Tuff, otherwise known as Tuffy, has written and reported on the Fink for many years. He knows all the main protagonists, as well as what they go through as they attempt to win this great desert race and Tuffy's here to tell all nothing left out all the secrets he's learned over the years on the table. Stephen Tuff, welcome. Oh, thank you, Murray. And hello, Rick. G'day, Tuffy. Um, I will declare before we go into this podcast that Tuffy and I, thanks to Fink, have become great mates over the years. So, uh, so you might hear a little bit of banter between us, but we'll try and keep that on the down low. Well, that 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 um, friendship is a story in itself, but yeah, I don't know if people really want to know. <laughs> well, as I said, all secrets on the table. Um, so, Tuffy, when uh, did you first get involved with the Fink? Well, funnily enough, it was through reading ADB, the Australasian Dirt Bike Magazine, and it was it was I'm pretty sure it was 1998, and uh, a, a dirt bike journo from Brisbane had uh, had gone to cover the race. Barry Marshall was his name. And he shot this image and it was of, oh, I'm going to have to refresh my memory. Rick would be able to, to help me out here. It was Andy Hayden and Craig Rutherford, I believe. And they'd come together on the run that home. That's correct. Yeah. They, 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 yes. they physically banged bars and Barry had snagged this, uh, photograph of them and it was it was terrible photo it was out of focus and whatever but it captured the moment and and I read about the race and I just thought how magic does that sound and I don't know why or when it first began but I always had this attraction to 
the desert and central Australia and, and always wanted to see it. And then when I read about this race, I thought, that's, that's me. I, I want to do that. And a few guys that I'd raced enduro with in Victoria had, had been up before and done it and um, told me that it was great fun. And, and oh, yeah, it was, it was a, a bucket list thing to do. And I'd always wanted to go. And then just through sheer crazy happenings of life, I ended up working at ADB. And my first year working there in 1999, they selected me to go up and, and cover the race. And um, that was the first time I rode it as well. So how many times have you ridden the race? Uh, eight in total. I've ridden eight. But um, I've been going every year since 99, except I missed 2000 because I was living overseas and 2001 I, I yeah I came home from a year overseas um not in a good financial state <laughs> and, <laughs> like most of us <laughs> I'd gone I'd gone back to my trade of being a butcher and and I, I hadn't been there long and I couldn't take the time off and I couldn't afford to go but since then I, I haven't missed one and what's your best result it was in 2006 and it was 80th outright Oh, that's a pretty good result, Rick. Yeah, well, it's okay. I mean, I have armed him with <laughs> well, some it's of okay. the best tools. Thanks, Thanks Rick. <laughs> that's not winning it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have Twice. armed Tuffy with some of the best tools in the trade to, to do really well in that race, to, to the point where I've given him a bike that's actually won and said, there you go, mate, have a crack. And I don't know what he came that year. I can't remember, but uh, I was. I don't want to remember. <laughs> I was. I was impressed that he only gave it about half an hour riding, and then right said, "This will be all right. I'll have a crack." And away he went on a Honda CR500 in 1999. And uh, he, despite getting beaten half to death on the way down, he uh, he brought it home, and it was very impressive. But I'll let Tuffy elaborate on that a bit more. Well, <laughs> this is this isn't a poor me or a or an excuse, but Murray, you will identify with this. That traditionally, I would be I would fly up to Alice Springs on the Thursday before the race, and maybe on Friday morning I'd get out and go for a ride for half an hour, maybe an hour, then quickly get my bike ready for scrutineering and do whatever, and then line up for the race. And I'll even remember that first year in 1999, one of the boys from, from the Honda dealership who was loaning me an XR400 to ride, and he said, have you seen the track? And I said, I don't even know where it is, mate. And he, <laughs> and he said, you might want to go and have a look. And that was the first, <laughs> the first thought of, wow, maybe I'm in way over my head. But for years, I just didn't have the time to have a look at the track. And it was it wasn't until 2006 that I took the time to come up a week earlier and I actually went pre-running with Rick and a bunch of others. And yeah, funnily enough, I got a half decent result. As a journalist, sometimes you're expected to turn up and know everything about the event you're at. It's a bit different when yeah. you've got to get on the bike and actually race in it. Well, indeed. And it couldn't, that race and the conditions and even the geography of the place is couldn't be further removed from where I live on the beach in Southern Victoria on the, <laughs> on the Bass coast. <laughs> how was riding the race helped you report on it? Oh, in 
ways that I can't probably even put into words correctly. Um, that race is so unique. There is nothing else like it. And the places we go, you can't see that. Like I, I've, I've seen photographers on the side of the track within the first 30 kilometres of that track, but so much happens further down and it, it's forever changing. It's like you're riding through three or four different worlds on that 230k stretch so they don't see that and they don't feel what it's like to sit on that start line and with all it hundreds thousands of people watching and you're trying your best not to stuff it up and to pull a clean start Mm -hmm. and then as soon as you get out of that prologue arena that's when like it's like a bomb has gone off and that's when you've entered this next world of mayhem and it is chaos and you Watching it from the side of the track, and I've watched it a lot of times from a lot of different places, nothing can give you an insight into what it's like when you first head out onto that real piece of track and it is chaos, <laughs> chaos. <laughs> but, but then when you get past, you get down to Rodinga and you, you're, you're getting in deep and you're way too deep to pull out. You're way too far from town to turn to get off the track and go home. You're committed. You have to see it through. And then once you pass Banduma, it starts to hurt. And you've just got to suck it up until you get there. Is that your favourite part of the track, Tuffy? The Banduma, Banduma down, would you say? Yeah, it, it is, mate. Yeah, it is. Because by then, um, the race has started to sort itself out and you and you. I guess you're now seated where you probably should be sitting because quite often prologue and the mayhem of the first 30 Ks can play tricks on where you really need to be. Unless you're a superstar and all you rock stars in the top 20, you don't know how hard it is for us poorly riders at the back. We deal with with all the dust and all the bad (laughs) conditions. You guys have got it easy. I had a taste of it the last time I rode. I woke up feeling very poorly and, uh, and I was told how soft I was, so I had a crack, but uh, got to experience what it was like to be mid-pack. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not great, but it, um, <laughs> it makes you feel alive. <laughs> That's true. You observe this from uh, a journalist's perspective as well. How have you seen the race change? Maybe the resources manufacturers commit to it, the development in technology on, in the bikes. What are some of the big changes you've noticed? Well, I guess first and foremost is the actual, the organising and the the race committee. They do an outstanding job from any other event or series that I've been to. um, I think Fink still stands at the top of the tree. Those guys and girls do an amazing job for for a one-off event. It's incredibly it, it's, it's incredibly well run. It's, it's quite a smooth operation for such a big operation. And the race has changed a lot. It's almost too big for its own boots now, I feel. You can just see that by the number of entries. It's its own beast, really. It's just become that popular. And uh, as you know, 50% of the field are first-time riders, and it's been like that for a number of years so there's all these new people coming all the time. So the race has grown so big and yeah, it has attracted a lot of interest from manufacturers. And I think the real turning point was probably when Ben Grabham switched from Honda, who had had a stranglehold on the race for a very, very long time. 
when he switched to KTM in 2009 and KTM hadn't had any real success, uh, con- consecutive success or, or building success at that time in the race. And then he turned that on its head and continued to do so through his results and uh, his teammates and in managing the team. So Katie, I mean, went, went in hard, really, really hard. And, uh, and with the, the goal of wanting to own the event and they did, um, and they, they did a really good job of it. And, and then Yamaha saw the success that KTM had in actual retail sales off the back of that. And they wanted to join in that and, and they did a good job to an extent, but they haven't been able to sustain it. And I think, Honda was really, well, for what looked like they were left sitting on their hands for quite a while, which was a shame because they, they dominated the race for such a long time. But the whole thing is changing at the moment. COVID has had a huge part to play in that. But at the same time, simultaneously, there's been changes in the leadership of KTM. And I think this year will we'll tell a different story because I don't see the manufacturers spending money in the industry as a whole at the moment, they're just not sinking money into racing because they can't afford to. Um, COVID's had a, a big impact on what they're doing. And ironically, bike sales are through the roof. Dirt bike sales are through the roof big time. And they're selling every single unit they can get their hands on. So they don't need to spend money on racing and they're choosing not to. So this year will be a bit of a funny one. But I guess the, the answer to your other question was the bikes. The bikes have continued to evolve. And the funny thing is about a Fink bike is no one makes a bike for Fink. There's not a bike purpose made for this event because it's so unique. And what, what makes a good bike is just that hours upon hours upon hours of development put in by enthusiasts. And like, well, Rick's, Rick's CR500, the second one he won on, which was the last time a Honda CR500 won that race, I would it'd be unimaginable how many man hours went into developing that bike because it was years and years of, of building on things. And um, unless you've got people continually updating and staying on top of it, it's hard to um, build the perfect bike. Really. You can't just turn up one year with a new bike and make it amazing because there's so many things that need to be done to it to make it a, a winning bike. Would that would you agree with that, Rick? Yeah, I I would because you you need a you I guess you need a good bike to begin with and basic a great raw product to improve on. So and the CR five hundred was around for many years, and uh, just recently talking to Ben uh, Grabham, and he was telling me how the KDM has changed um, over the years and it's been hard for them to maintain. I guess the improvements because they've had to go back to the drawing board a few times. So, so it was an interesting conversation, but definitely with the CR 500, I know they didn't change a lot, a lot of it in my time on my time with them. And so it's what you say is really interesting and probably easier to do when you have the same engine, the same product to work with. So just really, really interesting. Yeah. uh, The modern bikes that it seems to be every year, they're trying to make them lighter and faster and you get to a breaking point and then they go, okay, well maybe we need to try something different. So then you're like exactly what you said, you're back to the start to try and make this bike not only fast, it's got to get down the most horrendous, horrific mongrel piece of earth 
ever and back again without breaking. Do you mean God's country? Is that what you're saying, Tuffy? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that track, yes, that one. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I, I know over recent years they've had, um, due to the motocross, the strong motocross influence, they've had a lot of trouble with gearboxes and making them strong. And Fink always manages to find the weak points in every bike, given that they they need to go so fast and be so heavily geared. So, no, very interesting what you say, Tuffy. And Tuffy, some of the characters you've met, uh, interviewed and reported on over the years, um, who are some of the ones that stand out to you? Oh, Phil Lovett. Um, that guy is a think, legend in his own right. And, yeah, of course, I'd grown up reading about him and I'd seen him ride a few times. And that year that I did that pre-run in 2006, we'd ridden in to think and we were heading back, back north and I was pretty fatigued. I was cooked. I'd had enough. And the, the funny thing is, Love It is a larger than life character, and physically, he's a he's a he's a big man. He, he likes a beer, and he is well known for sitting down but being able to go incredibly fast, even through the whoops. He rode up beside me at that moment, and he yelled something at me that I can't repeat. <laughs> but it was a few expletives around, "Stand up, you beep beep beep." <laughs> And then he just took off like a rocket. And he, he, I, I, I laughed my head off because it was Lovett telling me to stand up. But, um, yeah, he, he stands out for sure. So he, he stands out a lot. I call him a friend. He's, all, he's always very nice and generous with his time to me. But, yeah, he, he stands out for one for sure. And can you rate some of the top riders? Is there any standouts for you? Yeah, there is. And, well, Oh, and they're they're just all so different. But one that I admire the most is Ben Grabham, because there are other riders out there that perhaps have a, a more natural relationship with the bike and, and can make things happen. Like like Toby Price, he's incredible. But Ben is incredibly determined, and he I call him the king of the one percenters. There is nothing he won't do to make sure that he is doing his absolute very best down to the most minuscule detail. He will, and he will check off on it. He, he will not expect anyone to do anything for him because he will want to know that it is perfect and done properly. And he would run through a brick wall. If he knew his bike was on the other side and he had to get to his bike, he would, he would go, okay, that's what I have to do. And I will do that. So he really stands out. He, He's, he's a fighter. And what year did he win with his broken hand? Oh, 2011. 2011. That was an extraordinary effort. Extraordinary what, what he did. Um, so, yeah, he, he really stands out. He's as tough as nails and, and he makes it happen. Ryan Branford was always intriguing to me. That guy was super, super fast and, and almost effortless on the bike. I, I, I loved how he went about his business on the bike. Um, and it, it, I used to lay in bed at night and think, wow, imagine if that guy had that Ben Grabham mentality. He would have been, oh, who knows what he would have been. Yeah, I, I enjoyed watching him ride, of course. And Toby, yeah, Toby's Toby. I mean, that, that guy's an absolute freak. He, he just has the gift and seems to do it easy. And, and I have to admit that I've written him off 
in the past. And I thought, oh, no, he can't can't win again and come back from the injuries and things that he's had. But he, he just does it because he's Toby. He, he, he's, a, he's a different kind of animal. Jason Hill, I used to enjoy watching him. Incredibly tough human. I, I saw him in prologue one day. He ran wide on this left-hand turn into the whoops on an XR650, and he just held the thing wide open. Throttle was just on. He thought, oh, I'll just power around until I find the track again. He hit an anthill, and he cartwheeled down the track, and I photographed the, the sequence of him coming off, and then I ran over to him, and he was just making this, oh, it was horrendous. It was a real primal gut groan. And he couldn't speak. He was winded, but he got back on the bike, kick-started it and took off and finished the lap. He'd, he'd broken his pelvis. Um, I'll never forget that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. Um, yeah, that, that really stands out. I remember um, you taking those photos. Is it better to report on the race or ride it, Tuffy? <sighs> Mate, this will sound probably a bit weird, but it depends what happens. Um. Yeah, it depends what happens. I mean, when you ride it, you could fill the whole magazine with, with what's happened, with your, with your own experience. And sometimes watching it, you're left looking for the story that will really grab people because you need something. You really need something that, that's, that grips you. And when you're watching it, you don't, you don't see a whole lot. You might, you might get a four-second grab of something amazing which is pretty cool, and I know I've have experienced that. But then other years, you might you might just miss out on seeing a bit of magic. So riding it's very difficult. <laughs> 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 and, and it's all in your mind too. It's it's your mindset going in because think can tear your soul apart if if you're not hitting the markers that you've set for yourself, it's, um, I don't know. That's a tricky question. Can you ask me an easier one? And now at this time of the program, usually we turn to our resident superstar Rick Hall for a tip that might help uh, budding competitors out there entering the Fink Desert race. And this week we're greatly honored. Our special guest, Stephen Tuff. Tuffy, over to you for a tip. Well, I think it's to be careful who you listen to. Um, <laughs> as this race grows, it, it reputation, the the myths and the stories and the the bull dust surrounding it just grows and grows and grows. And I have heard some whoppers in my time <laughs> and I continue. And even from people that have competed a, a number of times, they have some out there opinions and ideas. And yeah, I, I, I would say <laughs> be careful who you listen to. Um, yeah. See, perhaps seek out someone like Ben Grabham who offers riding tuition and listen to an expert rather than someone that thinks they're an expert. Is there something that comes to mind that is the worst, <laughs> worst bit of information that you've heard? Oh, geez, it goes on and on and on. No, I, I can't think of I can't think of one specific one. I can think of one specific person, but I won't name his name. Um, 
Yeah, I might just leave that alone. Can I can I handball this over to Rick? Because Rick is an expert and he has taught me a lot about this race. One percent, as we spoke about that earlier, I think when people think of one percenters, they don't think of enough. You, you've got the control to stop things from going wrong in the race. So the more you double check and triple check everything, the more thorough you are with your bike. I think that's the best advice. I used to lock tight everything, make sure nothing would fall off. And, uh, and I'd always be tinkering and making sure everything was right. And uh, to the point where I'd go out and do a, hold the bike flat for five kilometers, make sure it wouldn't blow up before the race. So lots of strange things like that, that I did, but uh, that was just more related to the bike as opposed to being ill-advised Tuffy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I remember one thing you said to me and, and it was after the 2002 race. And you said to me that you were, I can't remember your exact words, but it words to the effect of you knew you were going to win. And I didn't take that in, in that you were being arrogant in, in any way whatsoever, but you, you said it because you knew that you had done everything within your power. You had covered off all of those one percenters and you knew you just knew you were in the right frame of mind and everything was going your way. And you had this amazing win. Yes, thank you for that, mate. I, I don't know what to say, but thank you. All right, great advice from two of you there for the tip this week. Tuffy, getting back to the race and this year's race specifically, um, have you got uh, any view on who might take it home? Can the, the local hero, David Walsh retain his title or how, how do you see the race going this year? Mate, it's a super tricky one because it's been a little bit unusual where I haven't heard all the usual banter and and goings on. I don't know if it's been quiet up there um, as far as people pre-running and doing what they're doing or if they're just keeping it on the download. So it is a little bit tricky, but from what I've seen in the past and what I know of, of David, um, yeah, I would bet money on him. He he's in, he's done the hard work and he now knows how to win. So uh, if if he dots all of his eyes and crosses all of his t's like we just said, yeah, I I I can't see anyone really being on his level. I am hearing whispers that Luke Hayes is going quite well, and yeah, if you're a betting man, you'd you'd put some dollars on him for a place. Jack Simpson is on a, a new bike with a new team. He's finished third and fourth, I think, in the last two. He'll he'll be fast, but again, not not. I don't believe on on David's level. What's your thoughts on uh, Callum Norton, uh, Todd and Jacob, and Todd and Jacob are proven in the desert? Do you, there's the young and the old there, mate. I just get grab your thoughts on those guys. Yeah, well, uh, uh, Todd and Jacob. Um, is Todd riding? Smith, Smith that yeah, is. Yeah, Todd right. and yes. Jacob Smith. Sorry, yeah. I Jacob. believe so, mate. Yes. Wow. Okay. That surprises me. He's a, he, actually he's another rider I've always enjoyed watching because I, I just like his style and the way he goes about it. Whereas his brother Jacob is a bit more aggressive and crash and bang and will muscle his way through. The last time I saw Jacob ride up there in 2019, he was incredibly fit and focused and he wants to win. And the other thing about those guys is they keep it quiet. They just go about their business. So it is absolutely possible. 
I I would, if David's not going to win, I would say Jacob could. Callum Norton is a beast when he's on. Um, I don't know what what triggers him or makes him tick. Um, when he's on, he's super super fast. I, I don't really know him that well or what his setup is this year, but yeah, I, I just think that perhaps. I don't know how hard it is for him to get it all to piece together to be on, but if he's on, yeah, he'll be he could be fast too. But David knows how to win, and he he knows that track better than anyone. And I've seen him do some crazy crazy good things on a bike, and I and I wish him well. I might just finish with one question, Tuffy. Um, there's a lot of uh, discussion on social media amongst riders heading to Fink from interstate to race, yep. and many, as we know, are riding for the first time. Is there any special advice you'd, you'd give them about preparation, about what to take, about what to do when they get there? Is there any great lessons you've learned over the years? Yeah, there is. And the number one is to respect where you are. I mean, you, you, for a lot of people, particularly from the eastern states or, or perhaps that live in the suburbs, they're used to, you know, uninterrupted communication and and the reliance on emergency services that can be there within minutes and having you know, all these modern conveniences at their fingertips. But when you head down that south road and onto that track, anything can happen. And I just think you really need to respect where you are and what you're, what you're doing. And a lot of people have this preconceived idea that when they, oh, I'm going to think I've got to ride flat out. No, you don't. You've got to ride within yourself and within your limits because when things come unstuck on that track, yeah, you are going a lot faster than any, any conditions we ride back here um, in Victoria, for, for example, and things go bad, really bad, really, really quickly. So I would say think about, honestly, have a good hard think about where you're going and what you're doing and slow down, have a good look around, speak to some locals and just respect the, the, the place that you're in. It's interesting, Rick, and you've given this advice as well that all the advice, the key advice we seem to get on this podcast about the Fink Desert Race um, is to slow down and not to go faster. Because <laughs> it, it is really but, uh, it, It's particularly uh, when, when there's guys going down there just to look at the track, we call it a pre-run. They get a bit confused about race day and what they want to do on a pre-run. So pre-runs are... Uh, you're out as Tuffy said you're out in the open there's no controlled environment um, there's no St John's running up and down the track to keep an eye on you so so just people have to have their wits about them they have to slow down they have to think about what they're doing and just take it all in I guess and uh, just absorb absorb all the knowledge they can get from the track conditions and and where they need to be and uh, save it for race day Great advice there. And uh, Stephen Tuff from Australasian Dirt Bike Magazine, thank you so much um, for giving us your unique perspective, uh, having ridden it so many times and reported on it for something going on uh, towards 25 years, I think. So thank you so much for making us for a quarter of the century. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, you don't age, though. It's just remarkable. Oh, but it's the lighting. Thank you. Oh. Well, yeah. Murray, th thanks very much for having me on. And thank you, Rick. I, I really, I never get sick of talking about Fink. So it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. No, thank you. You're welcome, mate. And thank you also to Rick Hall as well. Thank you, Murray. Thank you.
That's it for episode 6 of Warriors in the Dust. I'm Murray Silby and as I said at the top of the program, just four weeks to go until the long weekend in June and Alice Springs in the Northern Territory gets flooded with off-road racing fans for the Fink Desert Race. Next episode, we'll meet siblings who are both driving buggies in the race, both with hopes of winning their class, one with a strong chance to win overall. But it wasn't always that way. That's what we started racing in. So it was a 1300 Suzuki Swift motor and uh, we ended up hotting it up a bit and doing what you can to the gearbox to make it finish the race. And we used to look at the pro cars and go, God, they throw some money out down the drain racing them things. And um, yeah, yeah. Look, here we are, look where you end up. That's in the next episode of Warriors in the Dust. Until then, stay safe, be happy and go fast. You've been listening to Warriors in the Dust, the official Fink Desert Race podcast. Move along now.